this series and its introduction to video game discourse. Video games has been long be spouted as the newest form of media. Ever since 40 years ago, video games started with the with the growth of or the development of the personal computer. Ever since computer scientists experimented and including scientists experimented with digital media on grander skills, first arcade game we have came out is Pong, 1979. Then later on in the year we had many other games. From 1980s we had the 3D maze, maze shooter, maze shooter game. And then in 1981 our beloved Nintendo's Japanese game company produced the infamous and the most lovable plumber we know is Mario. Mario Bros. Then in 1982, we had the Donkey Kong vs Mario Bros. Where basically the first arcade game started to rise up and become hot. And as you can know, can see in 19 in the later 80s, we have the cheesy years or the early and the. Uh, um, the new years of video games. Generally speaking, 40 years since this discipline has arose, video game studies and game studies are still somewhat in the adolescent years of its discipline and theories of discourse. Theories of discourse involved narratology, ludology, and etc. I shouldn't have said etc, but to clarify, Narratology is a lens into how stories can be unfolded inside the design of video games. Ludology is the study of the mechanics, the dynamics, the aesthetics, the visuals, the gameplay, the gameplay, the hardcore flesh of video games in general. And from this critical lens, we can analyze that video games can be either from a narrative standpoint or ludological or mechanical standpoint, as in mechanical different to the computer science mechanics, as in in video games, mechanics means the gameplay, the core of the gameplay. Dynamics are what shoots in the loop of the game. When you, you, for example, Dark Souls, the dynamic of that game is, okay, I, dynamic of the game is first fight the boss, die and redo again, rinse and repeat from the checkpoint, the fire, fireplace checkpoint, and then you gain loot and you build up your HP and your stamina. That's more of a modern genre of a game. Back then, the dynamic of the game was to do with surviving, action, platforming, uh, avoiding, surviving, and you have the games like Mario, Donkey Kong, uh, Maze Shooter, and of course, no one should forget in the 90s we have Doom, the famous shooter created by John Romero. John Romero revolution. Uh, Romero, Mr. Romero, re revolutionized the shooter genre for video games ever since the release of Doom. 
to continue on the next side before my phone went into a Hurricane Katrina like of explosion from one of my boss' phone call that interrupted the podcast to the significant degree that he wanted the podcast to continue on one of Google Play stores instead of this podcast that's available around other platforms, not just Google. So, continue with John Romero and his famous um, endeavors into the into the design of Doom. Doom was designed using eight bits and sixteen bit bilinear graphics. It was revolutionary at the time that how it portrayed 2D graphics on a 3D screen, on a 3D Z-axis perspective. If anyone here has learned art or seen art or did art, in art design, there's a concept of perspective drawing. And the perspective drawing is on the Z-axis. In math, there is the Z-axis and the X and Y-axis. In 2D game development, X and Y-axis are only measured within the scope of the game engine, as well as the perspective. It's 2D and and linear. That's the thing. Later on, um, more capable graphical power uh, by the time that personal computers had came out in the 90s, late 90s, that Doom has sufficiently utilized the perspective of the Z-axis within the Doom game. The Doom follow- the game of Doom follows a marine, hardcore marine, called BJ Barkovic, uh, BJ, uh, not BJ, it's the Doom Marine, we don't know its name. So, in the modern take, it's BJ, but in the older take, is the, it's a Marine. There's no story behind the, the shooter, it's all core game mechanics, it's very mechanics-based ludological gameplay, where it is as opposed to narratology there's no story yet but you might be there my sub premises but premises are not essentially part of a game's narrative and story so a video game will remain at its core a gameplay based idea and including this Endeavor, video games has evolved from the shooter of Doom into other forms of shooter, like Tomb Raider, Lara Croft, third-person shooter, from first-person shooter, and Doom is famous for its three-dimensional style, as in using 2D graphics onto a 3D Z-axis perspective gameplay loop where there's a projections, there's a utilization of perspective inside the video game. And inside this video game, we can see and from its lens that it was experimental in its perspective of the player being inside the character of the Doom Marine who is fighting against the demons that have ruptured on Mars.
Uh, this is called first-person shooter genre that was born through Mr. Romero's hard work. That's our end for the second part of the podcast. Thank you. I、uh, please subscribe for more if you're interested in the professional take of video games and its design theories. Stay tuned for more. Thank you, and this is a preview of recording number two. Let it be that I did a survey recently about my podcast, and it found that some people were confused who I was referring to, Mr. Romero. The Romero, as I was explaining and explaining about the father of Doom, the revolutionary 3D shooter. Is not unfortunately David Romero who created the zombie genre. It was John Romero who lived in East Virginia with his wife Amanda Romero, and they made this game. Well, John Romero made the game because of his passionate urge in order for first-person shooters to be recognized. Ever since 3D maze shooter became an arcade hit, or the first arcade shooter, and John Romero in his memoir,、uh, not memoir, sorry, autobiography, especially released in 2001, he mentioned quote unquote about Doom. I have a feeling that. I created the game is in order to secure the situation of avant-garde, a、uh, revolutionize the shooter genre, which at the time was still pretty new and niche. So he popularized the first-person shooter and survival horror genre in the West with the development of Doom, which was a cult classic, according to the early twenty. 21st century. Even Bill Gates in 2001 made a trailer where he, on his personal computer, advertised Windows 98 and 95, advertising himself. Oh, this video game is becoming so realistic. Chuckling is the situation where. Big corporations like Microsoft made a grand deal with John Romero in order to invest in money for his upcoming mean Doom franchise. This is how he got started to have like sponsorship backing. Previously, John Romero did not have any backed monetary. It was all done through his own investment money and some funding from his wife. So. So the mechanics of Doom is run, shoot, and gun, and the AI is pretty dynamic to this day. Even it's a quote unquote John Romero made a really challenging AI that has several different variations of difficulty, but they all play challenging, even on the most beginner friendly, say for easy challenge, because the bosses the Devil King, uh, sorry, not Devil King, the Bull Squid King in Doom is far better prepared. I have far better hit 
capacity damage compared to the player. So strategy can only be used. The idea of implemented tactics in shooting games started to arise thanks to John Romero's implementation of the game mechanics as well as the game rules. So please, thank you. If you want to hear more about the next audio take, please see Monday where I will open up a more advanced and send you bibliography links to John Romero and his valiant evolution and the avant-gardism of his Doom franchise. Hi, welcome to a brand new recording. This one will be diving into the history of um, video game theories. Well, it started with Abraham Marlowe with the hierarchy of needs. The distinction of what video games are there to conceive with the audience. So the needs of the audience are to do with hierarchies, how the identification of systematic hierarchy in human uh, development of video games is coined by the, well, in layman's term, the hierarchy of needs is what the audience expects, what's the subconscious, satisfying the subconscious needs of the audience, the players in this instance, the players, the viewers, the streamers, etc. This can be tackled in a variety of fashion. First method you could tackle in developing a game is finding your core audience. What do they like? What's the feature? Is the game going to be a beaten up? Is it going to be a crime drama? Is it going to be total games? For example, Batman, the Batman series, or it has something like The Walking Dead, something that grasps the audience, some kind of ideas, core central ideas that revolve around your game. It can be the story, it can be the core mechanic, most often, it's the core mechanic. What does this game feature? Does it feature fetch quest? Does it feature um, insecure loading screens? Something that is quite often in Metal Gear. Um, and the third method is targeting the audience specifically with trends. Example is in mobile games, for example, um, ch um, City Chaser or other games like uh, Flappy Bird, they satisfy a one simple need of the um, uh, players, which is to aim for the player to master it. Easy to go in, but difficult to master. So the difficulty should. Um, the difficulty in the theories is that the hierarchy is from easy. Easy is the novice on the hierarchy. Normal is the mid-range of hierarchy, or they call it the counterplex or cortisolplex. Like when you reach the hard difficulty, that's called the higher functioning cortisol. It's not stress, but cortisol is in biological terms. Cortisol is a secreted gland, a sec 
secreted hormone that is located in the kidney. The kidney secretes this hormone in order to regulate human, um, regulate the immune system, the nervous system, and to substantiate fear and excitement. So cortisol involved in excitement, the excitement, the funness. So whenever a player plays a video game, the cortisol should reach the excitedness, the fun, the glamorous um, feeling of a playing a really exciting video game instead of like stress protecting yourself. Cortisol plays in both parts. It's regulation of the human metabolism. That's the thing. But the metabolism of the video game can be directed by the designer as well as the designee. So, in summary, this episode is about the importance of Abraham Marlow and his interpretation of human needs hierarchy, even though it's granulated towards psychology, it is heavily involved in the psychological desires and the design of how video games attract players and attract viewers. Stay tuned for new podcast and next we'll be discussing the importance of video game um, the importance of video game criteria, the amount of difficulty, the challenge, the setting out how many challenges there are in video games. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this podcast about Abraham Marlowe and the psychological needs. Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast. And let's continue with the previous about John Romero's Doom. Doom is a franchise that is like with John Carmack, revolutionized the video games industry, where the first Doom game was unfortunately were on the Doom Playstations and on computers. When I say the Doom Playstation, I'm talking about not the Playstation console, I'm talking about the personal computer. So the personal computer was a massive revolution to the arcade games of that time, but it did not replace arcade games because Doom, for an interesting factor, when it was uh, when John Romero granted the right to a Japanese company called Namco and Bandai, which we know today as Bandai Namco, they acquired part of the rights to publish the. Doom game on arcade machines. So in Japan, back in 2000, 2000s, in the early 2000s, Doom machines were available. Years, like three years, two years after the release of Doom 3D, Doom was officially uh, available in Japan on the arcade machines, not in the personal PC. Unlike in America, where personal PCs skyrocketed, in Japan, personal PCs are still used mostly for business-oriented, but Japan has a thriving culture for arcade games and arcade machines, so it was an economically productive and economically sane decision to unravel the Doom on the arcade machines, and in the Japanese version of Doom, certain elements were removed in order to f- for arcade machines to 
because this podcast is mostly about theories, I'm going to talk about something outside of Western game design theories, so about Eastern game design theories, especially about what Doom has what Doom has helped with the Japanese games industry in particular. The level of gore inside Doom and the level there were certain changes made to the game Doom. Like for instance, in the Japanese version of Doom, not on the personal computer, on the arcade machines, required numerous modifications in order for it to be working in the same game environment. So every time when Doom per Doom guy receives a kill, it doesn't automatically. It was like a experimental full three D motion, but every time. A bullet is shot, or game entity is exploded. It remains as a separate entity, as opposed to a full-blown PC rendered entity. It appears as a small flash on the screen, as opposed to an actual、uh, flash on the gun. So the gun texture was removed, and it was replaced with a virtual gun. So the virtual gun was. Used to mimic human motion and movement, and arcade games has a history of interesting dynamic. Japanese arcade games that were famous and famous franchises like Street Fighter and Tekken grew out from the Japanese arcade era, while Doom was the birthright of of Western innovation and John Carmack and John Romero's brain at. Innovating FPS genre, so that how the FPS genre became more successful in Japan is because of the full motion control, so called arcade machines, where where arms, no sorry, not arms, but these are interesting concepts within arcade. Okay, let's start our podcast. Welcome to our brand new podcast. And、uh, today we'll be talking about a much more recent video game. It's more about recent video game history of a bit of history of recent games. And let's give a shout out to Rocket League. Rocket League was a twenty twelve developed. Ah,、uh, twenty fourth developed and that published in twenty fifteen. Took three years to develop. Um, Rocket League. Rocket League is a game where cars, like cars from literally Disney, but not Disney cars, but cars that you drive as a player in order to participate in car football. It's car football game. A pitch. Imagine football, but with cars. Yes. So card football,、uh, football cards have an interesting history behind them. Is that originally the developers was not having cards, but rather have like vessels, like boats and stuff. But later on, during development period, they started to they started to become more and more authentic. 
more and more authentic in the development sense that the theory, the ongoing flow, the flow area, the video game flowed from one side of the gameplay to the other side of gameplay. And as a as you some of us may have played Rocket League and we can say it's very competitive um, the gameplay mechanics is using your rocket car which your your car has a rocket booster you boost a lateral boost rocket boost you have you have to pick up this little ornament balls that shines on the pitch you order to refill your lateral meter and the higher your lateral meter the faster your car go and it's about timing and it's also about testing the player's reflexes in the in the these mechanics are there in order to feel the player's urge to go as fast as they can like sonic which is a different game franchise I will talk about later but going fast is one of the key feature inside Rocket League but there are pros and cons it depends on the situation where you play so imagine a play where you are you have your team and you have the ball but the only way you can dribble the ball is to uh, double the ball in Rocket League they call it face the ball with the frontal car you 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 push the ball sideways in order to get to the side and then hit into the net with the participation of your other colleagues so there's a cooperative elements yet your teammates instead of your colleagues in this view um, is that the video game designers designed it so that it's, it feels like an actual football match but it's the choice it, is the cars are can go very fast can go very slow can you can also lose and there's no fixed position which by the way rocket league is famous for its very niche not niche but very unique set of mechanic where you don't have fixed positions your players those rotate according to ability and usually these ornament orbs can be taken by both sides they are like boosters but in actual fact they're essential to the gameplay because it brings challenge the key of the struggle is challenge the competition between the players versus the opponent teams at small championships and let's not forget that Rocket League has a really diverse customization option which has become victim to its microtransaction fiasco in recent years due to the ongoing press of sale of expensive cosmetics for each arrow by this car and that's part of the game mechanics to be honest the loot box no the loot boxes inside rocket league is a game mechanic according to the designers of the game even though they had problems with implementing a fair rng rng means random number generator like how many percentage you play and pay in order to get a cool new skin for your customized vehicle that's it so mo let's talk a bit more about rocket league so what makes this differ to normal football matches at pitch when you have understood the gist of 
Rocket League. So Rocket League have three modes: practice mode, tournament mode, and it's equivalent of skirmish mode in the base game. I'm talking about not the expansions, not the digital deluxe or the gold edition on the Switch. I'm talking about the standard one I used to play. Had the standard version, the the skirmish, which is free play, and you can play with of your teammates up to four, at least four to five teammates, depending on what how many players are gonna be playing. They can be up to six teammates according to the recent update. But the lowest you can have is you can bring in two friends at you versus the other team. Or alternatively, if you want to practice, you can play in the practice tournament, which is you are going against AI bots. So this is just a small summary of what Rocket League offers. And Rocket League was released in 2015, even though it took them three years to try to build this game. The project started in 2012. If people at the start of my podcast didn't understand when. Rocket League started originally in development, and about the designer theory, they based it off not just in normal、um, flow theory. They wanted to have an optimal zone. They literally had a map called optimal zone, which、um, there's an increased pickup rate of elements, an increased challenge, as well as increased rate of the player scoring the goal. And normally the Time for each playthrough is at least, I believe,、um, in-game time not 60 minutes, but one minute at 30 seconds, and sometimes in bigger tournaments, at least goes up to two minutes or half two minutes and 30 seconds. And the interesting thing about like the difference between real football and Of course, Rocket League is that the set time limit don't always get extended unless you're very close in leading the match. And normally, winning a, winning a tournament requires the player to win a consecutive three win streak. That's it. Thank you for listening about my podcast. I have a great day. I will catch you with you later on the next element of my podcast. See ya. Oh, hello! It worked. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. It just kept on sending me to send a voice message again and again. Yeah. Oh, it finally worked. Okay. All right, we're recording now. Cool. So, how are you doing? I'm fine. Are we live? Yeah, we're live. Okay. So I will give you some basics of how Anchor works. So after we finish this recording, it automatically creates、um, episode, and this will be automatically shared while Spotify, Anchor, and other platforms. So the outreach is be bigger. Okay, I see. Okay, so today's topic, you,、um, fellow participant, my friend, you can choose other topics. It can be of any of interest, any creative interest, regarding、uh, either film,、uh, either animation, film, modeling, or video games, or possibly gambling.、Um, well, I was actually looking up. 
one of your previous podcast episodes. I feel you've sort of covered the topic of gambling fairly yeah, well. Yeah. Um, yes. Really. So, um, this is a sort of set as a racing segment. Um, I think maybe um, if we if we explore the topic, such as perhaps the um, if, we, if maybe if we explore the topic, such as for example. Um, the connections between the video game industry and the film industry, maybe? Yeah, video game industry and the film industry, sure. Um, what's, what person should we talk about? What so-called author we should talk about? There's a numerous one. We could talk about our Jackie boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking of more, just more specifically sort of talking about the impact that both cinema has had on the video game industry, whether that's positive or negative. Sure, we can talk about that, definitely. How video games can, how video games can feed in, what video games, what cinema can learn from video games, actually, because... Oh, yes. We see a lot of of sort of um, attempts within the video game industry to make things more cinematic, right? Uh, Even if you look at games like The Last of Us, right? That's the whole... I thought that's the whole approach they're going with. Okay, they want, increasingly want to make movies, um, more like movies, right? They want they want to give players experience that they're playing through a movie and they're playing through a movie, right? Um, yeah. And they're trying to use cinematic conventions uh, within video games, right? Um, especially in the way that cutscenes are interlaced with gameplay. It's just um. But we don't really hear about uh, what I what I think is um, short-sighted. Um, uh, sort of just short-sighted element is that we don't often hear about what cinema movies can actually learn from the video game industry. Yeah, right, yeah, we rarely hear. That's a really good point. We rarely hear about how cin how cinema should learn from the video game industry. Rather, we always hear how the video game industry should learn from the cinemas. When the cinemas are at the old time now, right now, due to COVID and other restrictions. So let's talk about a bit more. What we sh- what cinema does have to learn. What's your opinion? What What do you think, Ash? I think that cinema can learn from video games. Um, I think that um, well, one of the things that uh, cinema can learn from video games, uh, in particular. Right, um, is I think that um, too often when we when we look at cinema, when we look at movies, right, we see um, traditional kind of linear narratives, right, in terms of storytelling. Um, yeah. uh, whereas I think that cinema is actually capable of much much more. I don't think the film inherently has to. I don't think the movies inherently have to tell a cohesive coherent story right um, yep. I think that what, film, what films can learn from video games is that sometimes sometimes um sometimes works of art um works of art can merely be conceptual or an exploration of ideas now you may say okay you can get that from art as well right um, I think that there's Several key elements of video games that uh, 
the market. The market is different. Um, I'll, I'll outline. I'll outline them shortly. Right. Um, uh, I would say, for example, I think, I think, um, I think that cinema is uh, increasingly um, of more independent filmmakers. I've, I've been looking into the potential of virtual reality uh, yeah. and how it can be used for, for movies. Uh, how that could be used. Um, I remember a couple of years ago there was a movie. I think it was quite a few years ago there was a movie on. Um, uh, you know the, when the Ebola crisis happened, right? They made a, a documentary. Yeah, they made a, documentary, a virtual documentary, right? But what I enjoy about actually films is that they, I think, uh, films should portray different perspectives, not just coherent story. Um, in my opinion, I think. Um, I think we, uh, I think cinema should learn to an extent what the game and and a and a noir did. Like you're like a, it's a mystery. Like um, instead of just having a coherent story presented in a linear narrative, have the have the viewers guessing what's going on. Um, like external mystery, and when it's like. The camera lens is only like the guidance into what this is word is about. There's no narrator or something. There's only like what you see people doing it. What 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 all small hints about what's going on. What what documenting this. I think that's as much a better. I think I think uh, what cinema should switch to as opposed to just uh, Marvel story, Endgame, and other bullcrap. Mm. Uh, that's what uh, I, 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 and Martin Scorsese was against like this whole uh, 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 Marvel yeah you called them theme park movies yeah. theme park movies yeah, yeah. I mean here's, here's, here's another thing that um, I another thing that I think cinema um, can take from video games that they can give um one of the key things within video games is player agency, right? Yeah. Um, sense that character is shaping the world around them. Yeah. Right. Um to this, can we also talk about certain anime films as well? Um like I do think anime films um, I, I I don't want to go off the terms but you need the sense that some some old some old experimental anime films does give the viewer a bit more agency than more than once. Like, um, uh, what, what what those keep it into a mystery? Those like independent ones I'm talking about. Um, um, uh, they, they 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 instead of just like well old instead of just going through all those narrative. I think it was called Nico Nico Campo or something. And so so. It's like um, a lens. You're just looking at lens. Like maybe have maybe have something. I I really like experimental films. So maybe cinema artists should look at how we should diverge from just simple the old traditional camera angles and analysis. Let's think of other ways how to document uh, uh, events, society, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing is that um, I think a lot of um, 
And here's the thing. Another thing that I think that cinema can learn from video games in particular, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that often when we when we watch movies, right, it's, we we are given we're presented with a particular narrative, okay? Um, mm-hmm. We're presented with a particular narrative, um, and it's there's a clear sort of um, there's the direct, there's a clear sort of awful intent behind the vision, presented with a vision. Now that can be up to interpretation, right? right. Licensed, but of course, you have this cliffhanger, famous cliffhanger movie endings, right? Which are very much left open for interpretation. Uh, the audience can interpret it in different ways. But um, what I think is missing is that. Um, Films that are more, perhaps not as structured or cohesive, but films that are more uh, an experimental playground, okay? Uh, perhaps uh, something, perhaps something pre- presenting presenting a potential, um, or, or just a random, ra- random. You can have a, you can have you can have narratives that don't fit the traditional free art narrative structure. You could have, for example, and I'll give you one example. I mean, obviously there's, you have the movie Hardcore Henry, right? Um, it's Hardcore it, Henry. Yeah, obviously it's not, it, it, it's an interesting exercise, but it's not really, um, it, it, there's nothing really much to it. It's it's a very basic concept, obviously. It's just the whole movie is shot, uh, point of view, and it's just, it's just, a, otherwise it's a standard generic action movie, right? The key part is that it's all just, it's all shot point of view, right? Um, Perhaps if there were a movie where main character, uh, the main character isn't seen throughout the entire movie, right? Um, the main character just isn't present throughout the entire movie. I think that could be a good idea uh, for me to play with, right? Um, maybe, uh, maybe we should do a movie where it's maybe somebody is almost like godlike and looks over the world. Yeah. Well, perhaps really, I think really sort of metatextual movies are possible as well, right? Many yeah. movies about, um, many movies about sort of creating their own movies and creating their own worlds, right? Um, yeah. Or perhaps we'd be interested to see perhaps a science fiction movie that explored the idea, for example. <clears throat> really a big fan of Star Trek, right? Um, yeah. But I was actually doing, I've, I've read some sort of papers, especially one by Jarrett Murray on um, uh, Hamlet on the holodeck, and it talks about um, the use of virtual reality within this particular Star Trek episode, right? And I think it could be interesting, right, if you had a movie about um, people creating <laughs> People creating virtual worlds uh, and people designing new playgrounds, uh, so to speak. Right? I think yeah, that, that would be something really interesting, right? And then you could draw parallels between that and uh, the way that directors craft films. Perhaps we could have movies, we don't often see movies in which the directors themselves. Uh, play a key part, right? Perhaps we could have a movie in which the director himself is a character within his own movie, okay? Yeah. And he's 
absolutely <laughs> as an outside agent and he just comes along and he kind of messes with the oh, characters yes. and oh yes said person oh, oh, I forgot Ashmed have uh, you know, in classical and in a lot of films, it's always either like the the perspective, the third person. I think um, films should move out from uh, maybe a bit, a bit more like maybe God view angle, like a bit more like using drones to form rather than um, just simply uh, just person to person. Yeah, more drones wise, like maybe how technology interacts or something. And I really don't think I, I really think stories are limiting, They're very limiting in scope of development. I totally agree with that. But there are still certain genres cannot progress above certain stories, and that's talking about autobiography or biography, famous people movies like maybe the Queen or the Churchill's film, the historical dramas, those cannot go past beyond stories. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think... Have you seen a movie called um, um, Brainstorm? It's a 1980 movie. 1988 movie. Brainstorm, uh, Brainstorm. I haven't seen it, no. 19... 88, 90, sorry, 1983 film. This, this, this movie is shot at 60 frames per second. Ooh, I mean, I think obviously, obviously like that with a certain range, which is determined as the cinematic frame rate. And I can understand why, I can understand why um, that's the case because um, when you when you get to sixty frames per second and it's used in movies, you have this thing called the soap opera effect. Okay, yeah, motions tend to look way too smooth. Um, I don't know why that is particularly right. I don't know why um, sort of capped at why the cinematic 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 look at a frame rate. Yeah, it's not at that frame rate. Yeah. Um, the, the, this is a particular movie. The science fiction. It's but this. It's not a. It's not a, the Douglas Trumbull did not design this movie to be like, um, st story oriented. It, it's actually quite open ended because um, it's more to do with how scientists experiment with brain computer interfaces. It's a yeah. story, but. It's story written by Bruce Young Ruby, Joe Rubin, but Douglas Trumbull directors told him that we have to make this as open-ended as possible, like near the ending. So I might spoil this for you, but near the end, something really interesting happens, like the machine malfunctions that they had to rewire it to shut it down, but it wasn't successful. But eventually, they, they, the, the, a discovery happened. So in the end, um, the, the, the science experiment was successful in the end, eventually. So, so it's an interesting take. It's basically, it's not like your typical old story format. It's 
it's instead of the perspective of the characters, rather they prefer you to view the characters how they experience it. At most, at most time, even though CGI wasn't fully developed back then, they managed to use special effects and make it look like that. Uh, you are into the eyes. You're in the perspective of few of the scientists who's looking into the brain project, brain computer interface. Experience it. I th I think we possibly in the future require something like maybe like a journey. Uh, that 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 goes through maybe as not non-human, but it's like very metaphysical, like almost spiritual realm experience. Like the nothing you you do is extremely physical, but it's it's immaterial. You it's difficult to define what exactly it is. Um, in terms, because these terms are not widely available at the moment. So, uh, what do you think, Ashman? Yeah, I, I understand. I, I think yeah, there's a lot they can do with perspective, right? Uh, I think also uh, perhaps um, uh, perhaps a movie shot with um, perhaps a movie shot from from a sort of a uh, not a first person perspective, but. Uh, what what was seemingly a third person perspective, yeah. and revealed at the end of the movie to be an actual character within the movie, and you're looking through his eyes. That'd be interesting, right? Um, perhaps sort of uh, strange or choose camera angles. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of, and maybe if you could apply an effect similar to, um, you know, you had that um, had this sort of uh, trend within movies, right? Particularly popular, and if you look at films like Chronicle, um, you have that sort of um, found footage style of filmmaking. Oh yeah, found footage filmmaking. Um, perhaps if that could be applied differently, where you have a video game style, um, yeah. you have a video style. Honestly, I was thinking maybe if people could, maybe this maybe is a different take on like you know Tron. It's Tron is based yeah. off like somebody going into arcade machine. But instead of just simply the arcade machine, how about it's like going into a different dimension instead? Yeah. A different realm. Instead of just like Tron being an um, arcade machine. Uh, it's funny, Ashman, because in the 80s and 90s, uh, movies and films were heavily very experimental. You had movies like Brainstorm, who came in 1983. At the same time, Chong also came out sometime that year. Yeah, yeah. And, but unfortunately, later on, cinema frame rates become standardized. Become standardized. Yeah. And I, I don't like it. I, th I think certain, like, avant-garde movie makers, they should aim for about 48 frames per second. Even though it's going to mm. be expensive, but... It's a different take on the movies. And, yeah, yeah. And actually, I don't think it's unfeasible to do it in 60 frames per second. It, I know the editing will be a lot of work, but I think people set a new standard, I think. Because we, we live in an age where cameras like Canon can capture 60 frames without any hiccups. Uh, so um, I think they should pursue it, but... 
the twenty-four frames standard one, I think they should keep it for old drama, old movies. But the rest, I think, if it's to do with sci-fi or something very Steven Spielberg-ish, then maybe ET will move it towards like uh, the impossible frame rate. I think maybe movies that um, sort of um, low fantasy movies or movies where our characters go into alternate dimensions or alternate worlds could learn from video games. They could prevent different areas of the world as different levels. Uh, different levels, okay. Mm -hmm. And you have different bosses and different challenges, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And perhaps they could use things like. Uh, message overlays and stuff over the screen, you know, right? Use yeah. these kind of features within a, a cinematic context, right? Oh, I've almost forgot. Do you feel like the Truman? Do you? I know the Truman Show is very yes. Uh, we we let's do something like maybe the Truman Show, where where the where we view from the third person character like Jim Carrey, but instead the environment every time he wakes up is different. Is every time is a different world, so you become like a maze, labyrinth. Yes, yes, exactly. That that game is sort of very. Very reminiscent of video games in a way. Yeah, really Especially look at when you change, when you see the that director right. who's the antagonist of the whole uh, story in the Truman Show is actually planning on to how to give the player the you know give Jim Carrey who is the actor the illusion that he is living a normal life. He, he's keep on trying to shift Arrowson like all the actors to make as if he's yeah. trapped and but he he is. Normal, you know, like he doesn't know his trapped. Yeah, yeah. In particular, when you look at some of the camera angles in the movie, for example, like when you look at, um, you saw have the or you often have shots in that movie where the camera is looking, for example, through a hole within the house, right? So that's a hole within the that, that and that's meant to present a. It's kind of um, it's really meta. It's kind of really meta textual because the camera that we're looking through. Is the camera within the film? It's also a real life camera place that we're looking yeah. at the scene through, right? So, cool. um, just to have the idea of having that static fixed angle, it, it's very much like a game show, right? Yeah, we're very much like a game show. It's very surreal, right? Yeah, and, surreal. yeah, and I think maybe if you you use the kind of convention that would be really interesting yeah we need something like the sequel to Truman show maybe it's like the real show or something yeah. like I think uh, I think maybe there's even potential for I think heist movies could take a great deal of cues from video games they could take a lot of cues from video games oh heist movies oh I seen experimental heist movies those on YouTube they're quite interesting but I don't think they're mostly action oriented. I'm not sure how you're going to do like heist movie that is strategical at almost like a strategy game. Mm, well, I was thinking less like a strategy game and more like a stealth game slash infiltration game. But if you look at um, then let's just not no let's not let's not take um say for example um let's take an example of a movie that it's not a heist movie obviously right um. Uh, mm. But there's, there's certain sort of 
action, it's an action movie, so certain conventions. Like, if we look at the movie Taken, right, for example, right, um, you'd show, show the sort of, uh, if you look at that movie, instead, instead of when you have a scene where, for example, he's trying to rescue whoever he is, and each and every movie he's trying to rescue someone, right? Yeah. yeah. So you'd have sort of um, Zack Snyder style slow motion, then you'd have, um, as, and then you'd have sort of a pause, and then the camera would kind of pan around, right? Which mm. is very video gamey to me. You kind of have a static kind of everything would freeze that up, and the camera cool. would pan around, and then uh, you could present Liam Neeson entering different rooms. Oh, actually, uh, no. I just realized, sorry, Ashman. I think they yeah. should take cues from Resident Evil, the first Resident Evil, you know, like your house. They're almost like CCTV camera. They look. Yeah. Not that only that, one. I mean, I think they could also take cues from, uh, like, you could make it sort of like a side, a bit like a side-scrolling game. You know, you know those games where you have, like, um, oh, there's this one particular example. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but you know those games where you have um sort of um have like a side view and you have like a house or something and you have different rooms and compartments and you can see the character move through them, right? Mm-hmm. So you could have that where you uh you could have the camera looking at at the entire house. It would be like a house layout, right? Of course, the front side of it would be would be off because the camera needs to see it and then you have the character like Liam Neeson going through the doors and then the camera would move along like a like a like a side scrolling game right the camera would move along and then it would show uh, at some points it would omit the actual actions right because when you look at movies it's very inviting this action to action whereas here it would just be focusing on looking at the different levels so you'd miss, miss certain actions uh, but instead you'd see effects like you'd see like papers uh, flying around, okay, and then it would shift through and it would very much feel like um, a video game, right? Yes. This character sort of enters and exits and, yeah, and you, you even, you know, when you have those, the way I do with heist movies is you'd have sort of the traditional, you'd have the blueprint, right, yeah. uh, and then all the characters would be describing it like a, like playing a video game and then you'd, you'd show it cinematically like they're playing a video game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Playing video game. I've actually heard, like in the movie *Parasite*, *Parasite*. Okay, the way that um, set is, uh, the way the set of the house is made is, they it kind of has a very yeah, it has a very um, interactive feel to it. Yeah, and like the different rooms have different clues and stuff like that, and obviously the family is trying to hide its hide its secret. So yes, um, yeah. So I I think it, I I use this stealth like video game mechanics in it as well, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, but yeah, I I definitely think like um, even oh my god, even like if you look at say something like. Harry Potter and the Cobbler of Fire, right? This is kind of different now, and I'm looking more towards puzzle games. Previously, I'm talking about more sort of action, side scrolling games, and other, or stealth games, right? Now, if I talk about puzzle games, right, I think mm-hmm. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire could have taken uh, cues from puzzle games, and in particular, it could have taken cues from you know, the maze scene. The maze scene at the end, that could have taken cues from procedurally generated games, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it made the player really immerse the player in, in the scene and made them really involve the player 
right? The, audio, the audience. Really involve the audience, right? Yeah. Okay, I make them feel like rather than watching a movie, they're watching Twitch video game live stream. Yeah, well, I Except there's something like live stream, the fake live stream, and seeing how different vote. And perhaps you can have different different clues with, because in the in the book it's actually a great example. Oh yes, oh yes, actually I forgot. Have symbolism, putting uh, like hence cues in the background, maybe symbols or or things um, for the audience to solve. Yeah, what what things for the tariff or tariff. Oh, I forgot, Ashman. You you know, like in when video games, the level designers tend to put in real life word or gnostic or Freemasonic symbols in their games, and they they do it just for the aesthetic realism. What they could have done in movies, they just use it as a show that this is someone's turf or something. They may be somewhat involved, or maybe this is a symbol to show warning or something. And have you seen um, Mr. Robot? Like in New York City, there when when Elliot goes out, he he interacts and notices all those uh, high rise symbols when when the like eco started faltering. And uh, the, the, those newsbreakers started to like appear in chronological order. It's like some secret, and he was just like, "Yeah, won." It's like I won the game. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. I think it's very video game esque. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, I did. I heard I heard from like Gamma Sutra, a certain game designer has said the games industry, Triple A especially, they're moving they're worried they're cooperating with uh the film industry, a lot like Hollywood in a lot of those projects. Especially Activision and Blizzard, I heard. I see, I see, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure. But me personally don't trust Activision Blizzard. So they, they, they of course, going to prop up the, uh, 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 like the military industrial complex in America by featuring America Rocks patriotism <laughs> in all the games. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I do think there are excellent ways that a maze like structure could be incorporated into movies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, of course, with Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, it's a literal maze, yeah. right? Yeah. I think that there's other contexts where it could be sort of a metaphorical, abstract yeah. maze. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I do actually think if you read Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire book, that, in that chapter is really an excellent exercise in procedural generation, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's great material there, like, um, in terms of the way everything is set out. In fact, I think even... Some of the other Harry Potter, like um, if, if you look at the first Harry Potter, that there are sort of video gamey elements. Video gamey elements, yeah. But yeah, with with the hallucinations and stuff. I think really the Goblet of Fire, the chapter does it so well. But in the movie, they kind of cut it down, and it doesn't really yeah, fully doesn't work. work. Yeah, yeah. And I think the way they should have done it is that you have these sort of. You have the challenges presented, right? Because literally, it's the participating in a Triwizard tournament, actual game they're participating in. Yeah. So you should have the challenges presented to Harry as he goes along and he traverses the maze. And then there should be intervals where the audience can try and figure things out themselves or perhaps hypothesize on what they, internally in their heads what they think Harry should do next. 
before. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, Ashma, have you heard of this movie called The Maze Runner? Yes, I have. I've never watched it. Though. I yeah. watched the first one. It was actually really good. I just realized the maze is like actually a sports event. Like it, it feels. It's not extremely uh, the the camera angle doesn't give you the uh the um uh, video game esque, but the level design, the levels, the VFX, how they designed the, the outlook from the drone view, it looks like a video game level. It has the atmosphere uh, one. Yeah. It has the atmosphere one. The I think the only thing it ruins the movie to one extent that isn't believable is. The characters' interaction feels way too Hunger Game esque. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, so that's what it was. So that was the, the one. The rest was like the what the film VFX users they did make a great setup. Yeah, I think really. Um, I also think like the movie Inter- Inception could have used that very well. Like mm-hmm. for example, when you look at dream sequences yeah. you had certain parts where for example, for example like you know they had to believe their whole thing is that they have to previously it was to steal ideas from people's minds right the main mission leonardo DiCaprio has is he has to inject this idea within this businessman's mind right but they could have done it when they could when they could have done a montage perhaps and they could have shown when they're in within the different dream sequences in fact um have um video game you'd have a sort of video game perspective look you'd have um for example you could do pause frames for example pause frame. um you could do a pause frame and then you could have leonardo dicaprio's character you could have perhaps a memory recollection a dream could have a dream continuously going on like the character is the character is dreaming of something and then you pause it Okay, you'd have Leonardo DiCaprio come in and pause the scene of the dream itself. So he's actually pausing the dream. Okay, and then he'd yeah. come in and the camera would pan around. It would be like a, a free look, a free look. I mean, you know, a free rotating camera within a video game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, so it would really direct the opportunity just to move the camera around in angles that wouldn't traditionally be acceptable within a movie, within film, right? Yeah. Traditionally, we've seen a, seen a bad cinematography, right? And you could really have that as it would be really it would be really meta though because you'd be looking through um, it, it would it would be through sort of it would be through sort of the perspective of Leonardo DiCaprio, not directly a first person perspective, but similar to how um, when you, for example, if you watch the Joker movie, there's a lot of sort of POV shots in that, not first person. Uh, shot as in it'll focus towards the object or something and that that is what the character is looking at pretty experimental okay that makes sense yeah yeah um <clears throat> movies that sort of have a uh, highlight the artificiality of the world the setting right um assassins yeah yeah actually yeah. actually the funny thing about uh, uh, this leads to the next question. Why do you think that movie adaptation of video games fail? Most of them fail. Why do they fail? Um, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, 
that's quite a difficult question to answer, as he said. Um, I would say that one of the key reasons that they fail is that I think that um, I, I think that like um, when they make when they make these adaptations of the, the video games, right? Um, they try to, in a sense, they they just try to take the they try and take the story and just make it a standard blockbuster movie, right? And you can't really do that, okay? Because the story, often the story of video, sometimes the story of video games is perfectly suited for a movie, right? Yeah. Yeah? Other times the story of a video game actually works better within the video game format, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps that would work within... Uh, there's lots of examples of this. There's lots of stories that simply wouldn't work uh, within a film format, like Bioshock, for example. Yeah, it would be very hard to do. You have to alter things completely uh, because there's a lot of environmental storytelling. Yeah, um, environmental. Uh, they use um, the level design itself to uh, convey the story to the player. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of just there's a lot of video games. That, like if you if you try to make Batman Arkham Arkham City uh, a movie. Uh, I, I don't. I think actually Arkham Asylum would actually work, right? It could be like a really good horror movie. Arkham City, I, I don't think it would really work, mm. right? Um, I don't think it. Um, a, a lot of the the, the whole idea, okay, that Batman's doing this all in one night, you know? Mm. I don't think it would. There's that sort of immensity to it. Everything that you you, you feel like you're Batman, and everything that happens within the story all happens with one night, okay, and you have these different boss villains. I don't think audiences would buy into that, yeah. right? Um, so I think that's one type, that's one case, right? Then you have the case where the video game story can be done in a movie format, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it can be done, right? But the problem is, is that when you take that, like if you took it like, when you look at the Tomb Raider movies, for example, there's nothing particularly... There's no particular reason to watch it, right? Because it's just a standard blockbuster movie mm-hmm. with the story of an already existing video game. It doesn't do anything new. You need to add a bit new layers to it, not just, like... So. This is funny because... Uh, that there are a very few successful ones, and they rarely get the uh, uh, mainstream headlines. Like mo- most of this, not even in the West. Most of them is in Brazil, in China, oh. Japan. Well, it's experimental movies. So, so it I just had a thought. Who you have a call? I know. I had a thought. I had Who? a comment. Right? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, sorry to interrupt you actually, but I just had a comment on what you were saying. Okay, Please continue. Sorry. Yeah, I, um, I just sort of realized actually that if you look at video games, right, a lot of the story, uh, is you have a lot of backstory, backstory. right? Um, even in the Assassin's Creed franchise, but I mean, you have games like Dark Souls, where you have all this long backstory and lore. When you try and cram that into a movie, it doesn't really it doesn't work. Doesn't work, yeah, lore, yeah. And, um, and as I said, there's the whole the element of just um, some uh, some some video games are actual plot. The plot is actually lacking, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is the level design and feel of the world and right. the aesthetics that 
kind of build up the story, right? That can't be that, that can't really be done in film because with with, with or at least not how they're doing it, right? They they need to get more imaginative with this, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you need to actually perhaps make movies feel more video. These video game adaptations actually uh, experiment with um, with sort of video game techniques, right? Okay, yeah, yeah and make them perhaps feel more like a video game, right? Uh, maybe they could use meta, maybe they could use sort of a meta textual narrative so you could have uh, a Jumanji type scenario right uh, justify um, justify sort of going into that game world right um, but um, but here, here, here's the main thing is that like um, obviously like when you have when you have a story environmental storytelling and level and level and storytelling conveyed level design in a movie you you don't get any chance to actually look at the scenery much right it just yeah. goes by particularly action movies right you don't have time no, no, you can't pause the frame and just look at it it's not with a video game you could explore around and look around the map like it's um it, it's very fixed in a movie okay whereas video games have that um aspect of agency and involvement the agent movies yeah, yeah, yeah. Evolve. I think what what films lack is, given the audience, it's. I think what, what also films also lack is is uh, as opposed to theater, even Shakespeare theater. At least the audience has some interaction with the actors on stage. Some forced interactions. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, let's say. Well, should, should we come with this man or something? They say the audience that they they want to hear yes or no or whatever. That's minimal yeah. interaction, but in movies you rarely have any. It's passive, yeah. passive uh, media, which is I think is also important to know that I think what's the what's the What's the positive? No, no. What's the um, advantage of movies? That because uh, it's much easier to have flashbacks that go back in time without breaking the flow. Unlike in games, if you have a flashback and the next level is you years ago or something, play a level, it breaks the flow for certain players. Mm -hmm. It's like you you don't like players would rather feel a sense of chronology like this is why like in video games like uh, a lot of video game um oh, no no sorry a lot of video game in open world has adopted the dynamic weather system and like day to night so to give the players a yeah. sense of oh this is night or this is daytime or this is that in movies all these are set pieces and in in video games it's it's also set in an algorithm but the algorithm plays by itself so that's the main difference main core difference and i think like i agree i think the only thing that converge between films and certain video games is vr and Currently, yeah. I'm not specializing VR, so we'll have to see. Yeah, I think maybe perhaps like movies are incorporating parkour. Could maybe look at they could take you oh, some parkour parkour games as well. Oh, I see. Parkour movies. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, um, I, I think the issue of why video game adaptations are so poor, I think it's, it's a really complex issue. I think maybe a lot of it, although I've outlined some reasons previously, I think actually a lot of it might not... It just might just be due to the way the studio, the studio system works, where mm-hmm. Hollywood, Hollywood industry works. Um, but the way, but the irony, get, the irony yeah. was like Sonic with the movie that kind of worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I personally, I'm not a big fan of movies that use cartoon characters. You know, yeah, right characters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of that. I mean, when you have a movie and then you have an animated character come in and it's just, apart from, I mean, of course, you have those sort of uh, movies and like, there's old movies with cartoons. They're, they're okay, you know, like, um, you know, the one with Jess, Jessica Rabbit and all of that. Like, it's, but in, in general, I'm not a really big fan of that. It just, it just looks corny to me and it's just, yeah. Oh, yes. What's your opinion of anime extremely stylized games? Extremely stylized game. Extremely I mean, anime stylized game. I remember anime plot. And have you heard of the game Corsair and Kagura? I haven't heard of that game. No. <laughs> Don't search it. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, my okay. So what I say, I think. People, uh, listeners will hate me for this, absolutely hate me. Um, I don't think animes should adapt themselves into video games. And don't think they should ever. Or even anime yeah. games should adapt themselves. I, I'm not talking about Persona, although those that's unique. I'm talking about popular ones like um, One Piece. They shouldn't get adaptation to video games. They like fairy tale. They shouldn't get the adaptation to video games. That worst offender you throw down and they should never get adaptation to video games. They they their design is based off like fan service and short term profit. It's based on it's not based on challenges. Most of these games are hell easy, even on the highest difficulty, beyond easy. Um I think the reason why is the popularity. They, the Japanese uh, media try to merge anime with uh, animations with video games so much is that I think there's a massive consensus in Japan and across East Asia. They like this um, uh, this mass appeal to it. They like this. Um, they 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 like this. Um, uh, this feel to it. They like. They, they're not doing it for the game's design. They're doing it in order to satisfy the market, in order to grab people's attention yeah. there's a game. And that It's not to do with innovation or giving a new take yeah. to video games. It's basically recycling what other games have already done, but the, the only difference is the art style. Yeah. And unfortunately, Ashma, I do think... An animation adapted games will be extremely, um, extremely uh, animation uh, anime adapted to video games will be extremely common more and more in the West now. I think, and that's to me is a scary thing because 
it polarizes at turns a lot of the concept of video games, the challenges, the struggles. I turn a massive head to them. So like, no, 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 we're going to satisfy the the casuals. The really, because these anime companies, they want to uh, have a large market to sell to. They won't care about they going against the flow or they going against the flow or going against the fundamentals of game design or consistency of the law they only care about adventure games that's the problem oversaturating the entire genre with adventure based games uh, yeah uh, it, it, it's tiresome in my opinion with the exception of grand blue fantasy and um skullgirls those are different things i'm talking about mostly action adventure based japanese uh, anime adapted to games uh, like uh, have you heard of jump force like there was an anime it already happened back in 2013 jump force had to love rule and each anime had those characters in the game um uh, jump force it was so um, bad it's still pants to the I mean, oh, I have seen this actually. No, I have seen this. Uh, yeah, yes, I have. I have. I have. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, uh, this is here's the thing. Like, I mean, mm. I, I, I think, like really, this is like. Obviously, there are some anime-based games I really love. I, I love. I like the Naruto ship. Naruto, not Naruto ship. Naruto fighting games. I like Naruto Ultimate Ninja Storm Four. I, I like them. Right. Um, but in general, I mean, I don't think there should be an overabundance of them. I mean, I do like it. I, I would, I do want to see anime characters featured in Super Smash Bros. Brawl. That's one thing. <laughs> like, yeah. um, I love the fact they made Super Smash Flash. Uh, have you ever played Super Smash Flash? Yes, yeah, Super. Oh, uh, yeah, Flash. Yes, Super. Yeah, yeah, you have as different anime characters like Naruto and Sigma. But, um, the thing is, is that, um, even though this is fun, you can incorporate these anime characters, right? Fundamentally, video games are their own medium, right? Yeah. Um, video game tie-ins to anime are just not very interesting in the long run. Um, yeah. It, it's the same situation I feel with, like, um, with some exceptions, I would say I have the same feeling about uh, comic tie-ins to TV shows, right? Yeah. Cartoons, right? Um. Sure, they're fun. I mean, they're there. I mean, but I don't see them as legit comics. Like when I read when I read a Legend of Korra comic, I don't see it as a legit comic. It's just a tie into. It's just so we can continue watching about reading about the TV show, right? It's just a, it's just a tie into that. It's just because I want to see. Preferably, I, I every any day I'd want to see it animated, right? Any day I would prefer. It's just a simply a budgeting thing, right? It's simply a fight. It's simply a financial thing, right? Yeah. I don't regard. Legend of Korra comics, like very odd parents comics, like or the Simpsons comics, like uh, yeah. ultimately the same thing with video games. I mean, yeah, ultimately um, the same. Video games. Very, uh, in, I'll say, really I'll say Simpsons game, like and, in the beginning of two thousand. Uh, like, I have know. you heard of the Simpsons Hit and Run? Yes, I have. Oh, have you heard of you know that Homer Simpson uh, driving Simpson uh, driving game Homer Simpson? Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find its name actually. The Simpsons games were good. Actually, I did enjoy the Incredibles game, which was a movie time. I don't movie time games are also something that's not very good usually, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. They like the Simpsons. 
it can be fun. I mean, here's the thing, though, right? Actually, one good thing about it is that with with the Simpsons games, like the Simpsons Road Rage, right? Um, yeah. Uh, one good thing about it is that because because they were like were 3D, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or pseudo 3D, really. Yeah. Um, they did offer. Aesthetically, there was there was a sort of difference, right? Um, there was a sort of difference between that and the. I mean, if if it's interesting, if you look now at some of the old Simpsons games, the characters look really goofy and dated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, it's fine, honestly. Like, and as I said, like, um, as a one-off thing, it's fine. I, I mean, I don't know for some reason I'm not when I look at say a, the Simpsons time game. I just I view it as a fun game. I yeah. think I, I'm not. Okay. I don't have a problem with it the same way I do with uh, just blatant anime games. Yeah, I think it may just be because I think it's probably because of two reasons, right? Mm. Simpsons games don't take themselves all that seriously. Yeah, right. They don't hate themselves. All they that are seriously. very campy. They're very campy, and the the uh, uh, I remember head time wrong. You can just kick everyone, and oh right, and they just say like Homer, <laughs> just eat my dust dinner, and you you hit all the cars. You really don't care, and really don't uh, uh, reaction is so funny. It's really entertaining. It's very comical. The anime, and also the second reason, yeah, I agree with you. It's really, it's really comical. It's full of gags, right? Which is, it's, it's like the show, you know, it's a comedy show. Comic, I mean. yeah. Like, of course it is, right? Um, but another thing is, is that um, another reason is that I think the anime style is just overused in, particularly Japanese RPGs and JRPGs. It's really overused. Yeah, Japanese RPGs are way too overused. Like, I think the worst abuse is from Sega's Shining Resonance. That game is just like, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, the, the one thing, did you hear about that uh, Sega's Valkyria Chronicles? They, they yeah. say that, yeah. the yeah. Next, that the next art style, then they're dropping the anime aesthetics. They're dropping it because they say, they, uh, even though people like the character or that, they say the aesthetics did not fit the genre. They found out. Yeah, it doesn't really. It's <laughs> really uh, fourth wall breaking. Uh, the reason is the funny thing they did the marketing research. They say a lot of Final Fantasy characters. Uh, no, no, sorry, fan of people who play there a lot of Final Fantasy and uh, war, war, like war simulator people, like people who play Company of Heroes, more serious strategy games, play those games so that, that so technically speaking this high fantasy word you shouldn't have this stereotypical anime art styles for that word so that's what pe- people who uh requested sega to change it so maybe like they asked them they, so basically the director for wakira chronicles 5 they re overhauled it they are looking at the, the art style they're looking at what the musou they're looking at what tech mode is doing with the like ninja guy that know those graphics, so they, not the ninja guy. Sorry, so what, what the models they have for like um, Neo, DOA, and and it's like more 3D, realistic, somewhat 3D models because they said they found out that people who play who played the the Valkyria Chronicles they felt inconsistency they say like the characters looks very cutesy but this boy is very serious everyone is dying like in the first game 
a whole village got wiped out and it's it doesn't fit the context so they're changing that now so yeah another yeah, thing but, is like when you what i think that um anime 3d anime um doesn't look good unless it's cell shaded so shaded so shaded. like Naruto ultimate ninja storm they use cell shade like cell shading right yeah. i mean Legend of Zelda games, which do have a sort of anime, they have an anime esque style. It's cell shaded, so it works, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, when it's not cell shaded, it doesn't look very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really work if it's not cell shaded. Uh, that that's another problem I think about three D animated games. They they have two point five D feel to it. Cell shading in games. Uh. They have yeah. a quick or 5D to it. Um, yeah, uh, honestly, I think... It's realistic. When you try to add those details to the 3D anime characters, it just looks off. It looks like I'm looking at giant plushy toys, right? Yeah. 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 If you want to go with anime art style and video game, use cell, cell shading. Yeah. Like Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild, so shading, yeah. Well, I have a question. Would you say that would you say Genshin Impact characters is so shaded? Um, Genshin Impact shell shaded. Um, because I went on to play it online, but I haven't actually played the art styles, not the posters, the in game 3D models. I, yes, I, would, I would say this is cell shaded. Um, a lot of the characters, women, female characters, look no way for my taste, though, right? Uh, uh, yeah. No way for I, you. I really hate it when these when you look at some of the characters, just look all oh, faces just look like babies, you know? Right? Babies, yeah. They're way too young. They look very young. Like yeah, in China, especially in Japan, they love girls who are so young, and they also like. Pretty boys in Japan and China love pretty boys, really thin pretty boys. Quite ironic. Quite ironic. It is, a, it is a form of cell shading. Although I would say that the uh, problem with Genshin is the, the environment. Um, uh, it's not Breath of the Wild uses shell cell shading. It's in its actual environment, which um, yeah, Genshin, environment. Genshin Impact oh, just. Yeah. I argue. I argue that Genshin Impact is not a Breath of the Wild, but the levels are not the world breath of wild. I think the only problem I think was like Genshin Impact is that they lost their identity when they didn't didn't communicate what what, what these words are exactly what people expected. Like it's a to an extent it's a fun game to explore, but I think there's a lot of limitations in it. So the identity is very screwed. Is it try to be? Is it wants to be this or this? This it's really hard to categorize this game. That's the problem, mm-hmm. like in art wise. And uh, since yeah, I look at um uh, the the like uh, uh, link shading. It's very different. Very I mean, different. Uh, I sent you an image actually. Uh, okay, sure. Just a- Apart from Genshin Impact, any of our listeners, right? If they want to just, um, can just Google up um, just any standard Genshin Impact. They can have Genshin Impact images, and they'll find they'll find it there, right? Um, if you look at it, right, you'll see that the 
character design art style and the environment are completely inconsistent. Yeah, inconsistent. It feels like it's been pasted onto the environment. Yeah, it does. But but it also feels like the background, the trees are very high dynamics range. And but when you look closely at the characters, the details is fading in the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I would yeah. say here's the thing. Like, I mean, would you when you look at like um, quite interesting question? You've seen like you have a movie like Warcraft, when you look at. Um, adaptations of the rpg genre into video game into movies sorry that is particularly heinous right it's very hard to do an rpg game the whole point of a role-playing game doesn't really work work with them because if you look at warcraft it's just terrible they just try and pack it in visually speaking i really like uh, i like i love the cgi i love the look of the warcraft movie right it's just the story is really lacking right yeah, yeah. Really one way you could do an RPG, not an RPG game and a RPG game, a movie per se, but say a movie that used RPG elements is where you have a character that is um, completely um, character that's completely anonymous, right? Let's say a yeah. character is completely anonymous, okay, and is yeah. very much. And very is very much an insert character, right? Of course, he w- wouldn't really work completely because it's not customizable. You're not playing a game, right? Um, you can't you can't really replicate. You can't really you replicate an RPG experience within movies because it, that defeats the entire purpose. But I mean, I would say that like when I watch a when I watch a movie like Drive, right? Um, right. Drive does that have that sort of GTA? It has that GTA feel to it, right? Yeah, when you GTA the- feels to it, yes. Yeah, with Ryan Gosling. Have you seen that movie, Drive? Drive, yes. Yeah, and the yeah. fact that Driver is never named, right? And just the whole whole parts where he's like driving through the night, it it does very much sort of pull me in and remind me of times when I played certain video games, right? Yeah. 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 And the can yeah. Although I wouldn't say the driver is the self insert exactly. I would say he's very relatable. Yeah. Reflect looking. Very very flat two D looking. Uh yeah. So yeah. So it's interesting. I I, th- I think yeah. In driver, uh, have you heard about the near the end mission where? You, the driver, is you control another driver, but you are trying to run over your own car. Uh, even that, you know, that even took inspiration from uh, the driver, even took inspiration from a video game. Um, yeah, it was which, which video game was it actually? Mm. <laughs> Oh, let me look it up. Oh, somebody said, uh, Genshin Impact BSOD ish. Hotline oh. Miami, Hotline Miami, yes. Inspired drive, you know. Yeah, I feel okay. like movies, I feel really the way that. I, I, as a sort of conclusionary point, I would say that the main way that movies, obviously, movies cannot. 
I, I mean, there have been experiments with interactive movies, but I don't know. I'm very skeptical about that. I really think the way that movies can uh, feel thematic, right? If I want to coin that word, or ludological, right? <laughs> okay, ludological, yeah, yeah. Um, is if it's presented as a uh, movie is the director's playground. Um, yeah, character. Characters are not so much characters, but more set pieces or plot elements which the character, which the director played, kind of like Inception, right? Yeah, where none of the characters are really memorable, right? Um, but it's 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 a very plot driven movie, right? Uh, but the whole movie is a is a big playground, like a big Zack Snyder movie, right? When you look at Sucker Punch, right? It's a giant playground. It's him messing around with different things, right? It's the director's playground. Uh, like he's playing a video game and we're being invited in to watch the director's playground to watch everything unfold. Yeah, want watch everything unfold. I agree, yeah. Hey, um... <laughs> Yeah, you shared me something. Yeah, I'll take a look. <laughs> uh, you need to go shortly. Uh, uh, how many minutes? Uh, you, you can. I say maybe five minutes. Yeah. Sure, five minutes. Yeah. Yes. So, can you talk about back about Beijing Impact Arts? You said the background looks really inconsistent. Uh, can you uh, inconsistent in it's... the the draw distance, or oh, you mean the color scheme or the details, the 3D details? Uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at, here's the thing, when you look at the Breath of the Wild, even though it's cell shading, right, but the way cell shading is being utilized isn't to make a uh, link or any of the characters, it's not to make the game look like an anime, look like a cartoon. Yeah. It has a very has a very posterized look to it, right? If you look at a lot yeah, of if you go up and look up this, um, there's this really great, excellent animated short music video um, by Caravan Palace. Uh, it's the music video for Lone Digger, right? Yeah, see. Um, and it has, it has a very posterized look to the edges, the lines are not highlighted, okay, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yeah more sort of blobs and shapes of color right uh, like you're looking at sort of a, one of those old world war ii posters right even an art deco when you look at art deco right there's a lot of and edges are not highlighted as much right but it's not it's essentially it's not trying to replicate anime right but when you look at genshin impact for example if like that that image i showed you the character itself looks like Looks like you've copy and pasted this from an anime, right? Copy and pasted from an anime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I said in one of my game review that the, these characters in Genshin Impact are like anime characters, direct anime characters. Yeah. So I was thinking, these are car anime characters. They should be um anime, not in like this extreme gamified world. Exactly. Just look at the trees and the rocks, and the style is completely inconsistent. Right, it's it's a stylized look. Don't get me wrong, but it's something like it, 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 it's it's something that I'd see in something like say I don't know, like if you look at for example, uh, if you look at for example, like 
Um, just look at any if you look at something like t- any sort of really style gamers stylized art right um even if i look at something like bioshock right i could imagine this sort of pastel has a very pastelesque look to it right uh, yeah, it, it, it doesn't the style is completely different to this anime character that you've pasted into it pasted into it yeah yeah mm. yeah as i can see now at the start i didn't have any quarrels with the like the characters, the character designs, or the, but then thank you because you pointed out that even though the level design with the character design, they are not consistent, they're inconsistent. So I just realized the more I look at, yeah, they're they not inconsistent, they're inconsistent, yes. Yeah, I just realized, thanks. And so, yeah, so like you said in Bioshock, this pastel look, and it has like depth, you say. And if you look at Genshin Impact, the depth is almost flat to a degree. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, I would agree, yeah. It's almost flat. So do you think this game should be instead called 2.5D or 2.8D? Yeah. Yeah, I would would agree, yeah. yeah, 2.5D game rather than uh, 3D. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see. That makes a lot of sense now. Thank you. Uh, so, so, so because um, I played Genshin Impact, and if you know, Genshin Impact's uh, gameplay is very inconsistent, and I didn't realize. Thank you for noticing that the graphics, the level design with the character design are even are even more inconsistent. So, thanks. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I gotta leave now. But uh... cool. Cool. My yeah. my video's done. Great thanks, Ash. Thanks, Ash, for joining this delightful podcast, and hope you enjoy your evening and uh, get home with what you're doing. So, this will conclude our podcast. So, it's about films, the future of films, the endeavors of films, how what filmmakers can learn from video games, and how video games. Uh, how animations should be adapted into video games or not adapted at all in certain respect, like uh, uh, certain animes, maybe like Genshin Impact. So thank you, and everyone. So thank you for listening. Cheers. See, I finished the recording, and this video has a bit of Genshin Impact about comment to So thank you for listening.